On today's episode, we're getting into the next of Grimm's Fairy Tales, a story titled How Some Children Played at Slaughtering. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. Welcome to the Shadow Bear Story Sessions, the podcast about how folk tales and fairy tales were way more entertaining back when they were super dark and completely insane, before they got cleaned up by modern movies and TV shows just to make them more family friendly. Now we're going through Grimm's fairy tales from A to Z, and today's episode is about a story with a gloriously morbid title, How Some Children Played at Slaughtering. I don't know if I am terrified or excited to get into this. So let's not waste any time. Let's get right to it. Pretty short story, just up front. Don't expect this one to go on super long. We begin. In a city named Franeker, located in West Friesland, some young boys and girls between the ages of five and six happened to be playing with one another. This already reads like a police report. They chose one boy to play a butcher, another boy was to be a cook, and a third boy was to be a pig. (sighs) Oh god, I don't like how this is shaping up. Then they selected one girl to be a cook, and another girl to be her assistant. The assistant was to catch the blood of the pig in a little bowl so they could make sausages. As agreed, the butcher now fell upon the little boy playing the pig, threw him to the ground, and slit his throat open with a knife while the assistant cook caught the blood in her little bowl. Uh, A shiver literally just ran on my spine. I mean, I know why we're here. We're here to get into some dark, fun old stories, but reading what I just read is genuinely horrifying and disturbing. And they just get right to it. Uh, Oh, God. Okay, we're just going to power right through this. A councilman was walking nearby and saw this wretched act. He immediately took the butcher boy with him and led him into the house of the mayor, who instantly summoned the entire council. They deliberated about this incident and didn't know what to do with the boy for they realized it had all been part of a children's game. That is not a children's game. I mean, children aren't that stupid. They understand that when a pig gets butchered, the pig dies. This kid's got a real knife. Can't brush it under the rug saying it's just a children's game. We continue. One of the councilmen, a wise old man, advised the chief judge to take a beautiful red apple in one hand and a Rhenish gold coin in the other. Then he was to call the boy and stretch out his hands to him. If the boy took the apple, he was to be set free. If he took the gold coin, he was to be killed. The judge took the wise man's advice, and the boy grabbed the apple with a laugh. Thus, he was set free without any punishment. The End 
My God. Okay, without any punishment, at least give him a talking to and explain why what just happened was wrong, and he shouldn't be laughing about apples. It should maybe be mourning the death of his friend by his own hand. Let's not just move on so hastily from this horrifying ordeal. My God, that got dark super fast, and then was just immediately over with no repercussions for anyone. And I get what they're saying. I get the whole test of, okay, we give him an apple in one hand or a coin in the other. If he is so young and naive that he doesn't yet understand currency and, and money and sees no value in that, whereas the apple is a tasty treat in olden times, I guess. So if he chooses the apple over the, the currency, over the money, then he clearly is so young that he cannot be judged harshly for killing a child. Even though I completely disagree with that assertion, you could definitely harshly judge a kid, or at least, you know, make make put it into context, help the kid understand why what he did was wrong. Even though, if a kid can wield a knife, they should know what is wrong. Instead of five or six, by the age of five or six, you can understand what death is. This is this is this is mm, oh, this is, this is horrifying. This is terrible. All right, now there is a second version of this story, or a second edition of this story, immediately after. It's also, it's just as short. I don't know how it's going to be different. They've done this sometimes, where they have sort of an alternative version, or an alternate version. So let's just get right into it. There once was a father who slaughtered a pig, and his children saw that. In the afternoon, when they began playing... One child said to the other, You be the little pig, and I'll be the butcher. God. He then took a shiny knife and slit his brother's throat. Their mother was upstairs in a room bathing another child, and when she heard the cries of her son, she immediately ran downstairs. Upon seeing what had happened, she took the knife out of her son's throat and was so enraged that she stabbed the heart of the other boy who had been playing the butcher. Then she quickly ran back to the room to tend to her child in the bathtub, but while she had been gone, he had drowned in the tub. Oh. My God. Now the woman became so frightened and desperate that she wouldn't allow the neighbors to comfort her, and finally hung her... S I I'm, I'm so sorry. I regret everything. I regret this podcast. I regret all of my life decisions. This is the worst thing ever. When her husband came back from the fields and saw everything, he became so despondent that he died soon thereafter. The end. Fucking hell. You know, I started this podcast because thought these... Fun, dark, old stories would be a good time to get into. I didn't, I did not think we'd be here. Didn't think we'd get here. Gonna be honest. You know, killing unicorns a couple episodes ago, that was pretty dark and pretty random and nonsensical, but, you know, it had some sort of narrative value. This is just... This is just one of the most disturbing and sad things I have ever read. Granted, yes, it's in Grimm's Fairy Tales, so maybe I shouldn't be taking it so seriously. But holy shit, guys. Holy 
shit. Also in this version of Grimm's Fairy Tales that I'm reading, every like 20 or 30 pages, there's a black and white drawing, like a sketch. And for some reason, they decided this very brief story deserved having a sketch drawn. And it's literally just like a small, like a sort of crude drawing of a small child in a like wide bucket. It's, it's horrifying. It's just as horrifying as the story. This is, this is, I apologize, guys. I'm gonna have to put a warning on the top of this episode. This shit's fucking real. This is dark as hell. You know, I feel like this is the old-timey version of when people nowadays say that children can't handle violent video games or can't handle violent movies, and if they see that done, then they'll try to mimic them and hurt each other or hurt themselves. I feel like this is the old-timey version of that. And it's also just as unbelievable as those arguments today. I do not think that this is a real situation. Unless there's just a psychopath kid. I think the intended lesson of these stories is sort of have a dialogue or at least bring to light the differences in terms of what and how children perceive the world and the reality and and sort of their understanding of what they're seeing around them. And as adults, to make sure adults are sort of aware of the way in which their actions and their words could be interpreted or misinterpreted by children and the consequences that that could have. And that's, that's a very valuable thing to consider, sort of the naivete of a child and being aware of that as an adult. You know, children are watching and they're drawing their own conclusions. So be responsible about what you do and what you say. But this is just, you know, butchers exist. There are plenty of farming families out there who probably raised livestock and slaughtered those livestock. And I don't think all of their children are just going around killing each other with knives. This seems like a very isolated, selective incident here. Now, I did a little research and found that these stories were not included in subsequent editions of Grimm's Fairy Tales, and I think it's pretty immediately apparent why that is the case. I also found that Frenniker is a real place in the Netherlands. And you might be thinking, oh, that's probably just a coincidence that Frenniker is, you know, it happens to be the name of a place. It's probably a word in, in you know, the regional language. But no, Franeker is a place that was one of the 11 historical cities of Friesland. So this is an actual place. Which begs the question, did this actually fucking happen? I have to think no. I have to, like, for my own sanity and faith in humanity, I have to think no. This did not actually happen. But knowing that this actually is a place that exists, I don't know if knowing that fact makes me want to visit that place or makes me never want to visit that place in the Netherlands. Either way, it makes this shit a little too real. And I kind of wish that the location was left out of this story. None of the other stories have specific locations, like a specific city that's named. It names the city and the region. It gets real specific. Don't need that. Whew. 
Yeah. So the intended lesson seems to be to just be aware of the ways in which children could misinterpret the world around them in a naive way that could eventually get themselves or others hurt, which is a good lesson. But I don't think kids are doing this. I don't think kids are seeing people cook things and butcher things and are going around playing butcher and just murdering each other left and right. I don't think that's realistic. I think, if anything, the lesson of this story is that children are psychopaths who should not be trusted, and justice is a lie. Kids just murdering his friend and then grabbing an apple and laughing about it? Keep an eye on that kid. If he's five or six, he should have some semblance of understanding of what just happened. My God. Horrifying series of stories. The second one is just full-on murder town. Just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. I don't even want to think about that anymore. This one seriously bothered me. But you know what? I'm seeing it through. I'm going to adapt this thing. It's going to use the same themes of a child and their naivete and not understanding the reality of the world in terms of their imaginative and creative perception of the world. So it's going to be a movie and it's going to start with a in a military setting and just a normal day in the life of this general who is going to be played by Brian Cox. If you don't know who Brian Cox is, look him up. You've seen him before. He's been in a million things. Brian Cox is going about his normal day when he suddenly gets word of this unknown military force out in the middle of nowhere, like out in Wyoming or something. And he doesn't know what's going on, and he sort of they send drones out to, to, to investigate, and there's like a few squadrons of soldiers that they see in, the, in, this, in this video footage from these drones. And they mobilize a bunch of troops, they go out there, then there's nothing. There's, there's no troops, there's, there's no one. And they're, su- they're completely confused who was this invading force, what happened. Nobody knows. The next day, they get word that the town nearby to where those troops were spotted has now been taken over by this military force. They send in more troops, and there's a firefight that ensues. They have no idea who these troops are. They're wearing sort of black military fatigues, and they're very well well supplied, well, well kitted out. Casualties on both sides. But eventually, the military is forced to retreat and give this village over to this unknown force. Later in the day, they receive word that the force is gone, the force has vanished, almost into thin air. And so the military moves in, and all they find is a young boy sitting on a bench in the middle of town. Who is this boy? Where did he come from? And they find out that he escaped from a nearby orphanage. And they think nothing of it. They think he just got mixed up in this whole ordeal, somehow escaped a few days before, and managed to survive this crazy firefight. And thank goodness for that. And so they send him back to the orphanage. And that's when we begin to see things going on in the orphanage and him talking to his guidance counselor slash therapist, who is Jessica Chastain. And she finds out that this boy really likes military movies and army movies, and he imagines all these battles and what the force would be like and all the different battalions and things, and he's just fascinated by all of it. 
And as we follow the story of this boy and the guidance counselor in this orphanage, we also see that there are some very questionable and hostile practices going on in this orphanage that are causing a great deal of of stress and victimization for all of the kids in the orphanage. And imagining these, these fights and these battles is kind of this one boy's only way of escaping from that. And so we see a conflict arise, maybe two other kids get into a fight, and the, the young boy sees this. And just as he's seeing this, we see him sort of disappear into his own head, and we cut away, and miles away, a new military force just sort of materializes and comes out of a forest and takes over the state capital quick as a flash before anyone knows what happened. And this time, Jessica Chastain, the guidance counselor, sees him sort of lost in thought as she's hearing or seeing on the news what's going on, but she doesn't know that it's him that's actually imagining this and manifesting this without even, he doesn't even really know he's doing it, but she doesn't know that it's him that's doing it. And she says, little Johnny, we gotta, we gotta go into the basement. There's some sort of military force. They're back. We have to protect ourselves. They're only a few miles away. His eyes open and he looks at her. She's watching the news at the same time. And that very moment that his eyes open, all of the military men on the television just vanish. And that's when she kind of puts together, there's a connection here. Something's going on. So to move the plot forward a little quicker, so we're not here all day, she begins to talk to the military to tell them she thinks there's a connection here. Brian Cox, the military, of course, do not believe her. But eventually, they humor her and start running some tests and see that, yes, this is a real thing. This kid can somehow manifest military forces at will. He doesn't understand the gravity of it. He thinks it's a game. To him, this is just... His, his escape, how, it's how he deals with conflict. He just goes into his mind and plays out these battles because it's the only way he can fight through the battles of, of his own life, of his own psychology, of his own demons, and dealing with his surroundings, dealing with his hostile surroundings. And so Brian Cox thinks that they need to discipline him. They need to somehow whip him into shape and get him to stop doing this and so he has sort of a hostile approach to it and tries to turn him into some type of soldier, basically, because he thinks he can use it to his benefit and to the benefit of the military. But, of course, little Johnny does not react well to this. And as a result, his imagination just go- runs wild more, and the fighting forces get more and more severe and start causing more and more damage and wreaking more and more havoc. And everything just gets worse, just gets heightened as they pile more and more stress and intensity and hostility onto this little boy's psyche. Meanwhile, Jessica Chastain is trying to help find a way for him to process this, this stress and this hostility in a, in a more healthy and a more positive way. She's trying to get more inside of his mind to, to give him better coping mechanisms so that he doesn't need to resort to these, these violent escapist sort of fantasies. But she starts looking more into his history and his past. She finds that he actually 
when he went into the system, when he was just a baby, he actually was separated from an older sister. And she tracks down the sister, who is played by Millie Bobby Brown. And Jessica Chastain talks to Millie Bobby Brown and and tries to get her to sort of shed some light on how she can reach little Johnny to, to make him feel like everything's okay, to feel safer, to feel more comfortable, to, to be able to process things. Ultimately, it becomes clear that this little boy has really just never had a stable situation. He's never had a, a, a stable source of love and support in his life because he's always been pulled apart from his family, he's always been pulled apart from, from the people around him. All he's ever really been confronted with or exposed to is hostility. So Jessica Chastain manages to sneak Millie Bobby Brown into the government facility where they're keeping the boy, and as there's this big confrontation happening in his mind with a big military force, and he's barricaded himself in his room while a big fight goes on outside and for miles and miles around, Jessica Chastain sneaks Millie Bobby Brown into his room, and Millie Bobby Brown, they, they reunite brother and sister, and it becomes clear that Really, what he needed was to be loved. Which is really what we all need, isn't it? And so there's a tearful reunion, and just as one of the soldiers is about to shoot Brian Cox in the head, it just vanishes, and we cut to just Millie Bobby Brown and little boy just hugging in this bare, sterile, almost prison-like room. It becomes clear that he just needs love just needs a family. And so Jessica Chastain adopts Millie Bobby Brown and the little boy. They live in a cabin. I don't know. Things always end happily when people move off into a cabin and just have peace and quiet and are reading books. There's all these, there's all these movies where everyone just, you know, goes off into a cabin by a lake, reading a book, and then they're happy. And that's what happens here with love in his life. Little boy doesn't need to imagine or doesn't want to imagine all this hostility and all this, these wars and these battles because his life isn't about hostility and about conflict anymore. His life is full of love. The end. And so that is my adaptation of the horrifyingly disturbing story, How Some Children Played at Slaughtering. And so that'll do it for this week. This one was a doozy, guys. This is the first one that really kind of floored me. Man. But next week, we've got a story titled The Little Mouse, The Little Bird, and The Sausage. Come on back next week for that. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Send me your own adaptation ideas over on Twitter or Instagram. You can also check out the website, shadowbearstorysessions.com. You can donate. You can contact me. You can send me some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And that will do it for this week. Come on back next week for The Little Mouse, The Little Bird, and The Sausage. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions.